Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 18 of Chris's on Infinite Earths here at the Chris and Reggie channel. You could hopefully start hearing this show uh, once again every other Wednesday at chrisandreggie.com, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, blah, 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 all those places you can hear it. Um, now, this episode was a you know kind of a long time coming, uh, and I do apologize for the delay, though I can't imagine anyone was really missing hearing my voice and my ramblings, but uh, that's just me. Um, today we're going to be discussing a book. Uh, you know, change is kind of in the air here at the uh, Chris and Reggie channel, and uh, I wanted to discuss a book that, um, whenever I think of a certain time in my life, it's usually this book, this series, this event that pops into my head uh, as it pertains to uh, to comics. And uh, it is, does signify a pretty uh, drastic change in my life uh, that I uh, went through about 10 years ago, and uh, I can hardly believe that this is going to be a, a nearly a 10-year-old book we're going to be discussing, and uh, that is Brightest Day number zero. It's the uh, the book that jump-started the uh, Brightest Day cross-event, or crossover event, or whatever we're going to call it. Now, this wasn't the book we were going to discuss had I just, you know, continued making episodes a few months ago. Uh, I actually have a couple that are in various forms of incomplete recording, uh, as it is right now. Uh, we were originally going to be discussing uh, the Lady Cop issue of a First Issue Special, and... That was more or less a way to uh, facilitate my complaining about, or, or my rules for comic collecting, uh, which I couldn't imagine anyone would want to hear, but uh, it's something that I wanted to talk about. But uh, it just didn't seem, uh, doesn't seem right for today, and uh, I uh, really wasn't about to just go back to business as usual. That just wasn't going to be what I did uh, back in the uh, middle to end of May. So, uh, and again, I do apologize for uh, stepping away from the microphone uh, for uh, an extended period there, but hopefully uh, hopefully we'll start uh, getting things rolling again. So, we have Black, uh, not Blackest Night, we have Brightest Day, number zero. And uh, this came out um, right as I was getting back into comics, and... Uh, and it's not really something I talk about much, but uh, in uh, early 2008, I uh, lost my job. And uh, it took me a very long time to, uh, to get any sort of employment again. So comics kind of fell to, uh, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth priority at that time. And uh, I really wasn't following much. Um, and uh, if you've listened to the past few episodes of the show, you know, uh, you know, I came into comics fandom through ElfQuest and then immediately latched on to uh, Marvel Comics and the X-Men in particular. So uh, they were kind of who brought me to the dance. So when I started to dip my toe back into comics, it was all Marvel. You know, I, I really didn't even consider uh, checking out DC. I, I actually avoided looking at the DC books because I didn't want to be interested in them. Uh, one of the things that I couldn't avoid seeing, though, was uh, was Black as Night, and uh, Black as Night was just everywhere. And I uh, I did my damnedest not to uh, not to engage. Uh, I, you know, of course, I have in the uh, subsequent years, but uh, at that point, I was 
really just scared of spending any money. Um, I don't know if you want to hear my elaboration for that, but uh, I suppose you hit you hit play, so <laughs> you're here for it. Um, I worked for a uh, a paper recycling company, a uh, basically a transfer station for a major uh, international retailer. We uh, picked up, we purchased their uh, old bales of cardboard, and we would uh, sell it to uh, you know pulping and. Uh, plants basically to uh to be recycled and i i did that from around 2002 to uh february 29th 2008 so it was leap day (laughs) is the day that our uh our fortunes went south um now the company i worked for worked with this major (laughs) retail outfit uh i don't want to name the retail outfit but if you think of retail outfits it's probably the first one um, now we worked with, well, they worked with them for a quarter of a century. Uh, they were always their, uh, recycling supplier, I guess. And, uh, so in 2002, this company opened a, a local facility here in Phoenix, Arizona. So, uh, I got right in on the ground floor and, uh, together with me and the, uh, the manager there and the, uh, warehouse manager there, we, we built this little branch into, uh, something more um instead of servicing just you know a handful of this major retailer's stores in the phoenix tucson flagstaff area we were able to expand that to take over the entire state of arizona then moving into new mexico then moving into western texas so i mean it grew over those six years really really strong um and uh you know i didn't have any kind of ownership or stock in the company but uh you know, when you're on the ground floor or something like that and you help build something, uh, it's hard not to think of it as yours. And uh, so when the, everything finally fell apart, um, I, I took it probably a bit harder than most might. Um, you see, uh, we, uh, we had worked... Uh, I, was, I was primarily the plant supervisor and I also did dispatch for... The, uh, the logistics, the trucking. And I had worked out our, our routing system to where, you know, we were, we were picking up all the materials with uh, very, very limited overtime and uh, very limited miles, uh, lower wear and tear on the vehicles. So we had a really good uh, operation going, and it was almost to the point where it was automated. You know, we put in a lot of 18-hour days early on to enjoy easier days uh, as things were falling into place. And uh, the major retail outfit, um, (laughs) they decided to ask us for our routing because they thought that we were spectacular and they they really, you know, blew sunshine up our skirts. And uh, and, uh, like fools, uh, we handed over everything that we'd put together over the half decade that we were doing it. And... uh, not too long after that, they bought their contract out and uh, started doing it all in-house. Can't blame them. I mean, that's the uh, that's business, you know. It's just, it's it sucks, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, you know, it's all about making a buck, I suppose. And uh, so on February 29th, two thousand eight, leap day, uh, we had a huge meeting, and uh, we were all told that. Uh, 
sorry <laughs> this is uh this is where our professional relationships end and uh that was that um what really sucks uh, you know on top of losing a job that i'd had for a long time and that i enjoyed was that a few months before that uh the wife who was my fian- who was my girlfriend at the time we bought a house we bought our first house and uh and this was 2007 that we bought this house, so we were still kind of riding that housing wave. So we paid way too much uh, at a way too high interest rate. And then uh, a couple months after that, uh, we got engaged. So we started planning a wedding. We bought uh, engagement rings and wedding rings, and uh, then all of a sudden, uh, you know, the bottom fell out. And uh, like I said, uh, I don't have any right to say that I had any kind of stake in that company, but being in the trenches for as long as I was and putting as much of uh, myself into this job as I did, uh, you couldn't convince me that I, I, I didn't, it, that it wasn't mine, you know? It was uh, really a uh, painful separation, and I'm not good with changes, it is. Um, folks who have listened to what I've recorded over the past several months can attest to that. I'm not good with crisis, trauma, or change. And uh, and so I had this job that I had that I'd really enjoyed, and it was no longer there. And uh, and on top of that, I had a very high mortgage, and I had payments on jewelry, and uh, <laughs> it was just a disaster. Um, and. Uh, thing of it is, is I got a decent severance package, but nobody tells you that uh, they tax severance packages pretty high. Um, so if you're promised X amount of dollars, you should only expect half of those dollars. However, if you apply for unemployment, they don't look at what you took home. They look at the full amount. So they'll tell you, okay, you're, you're, you're applicable for this, uh, this, these benefits, but... Uh, you know, come back in six months because you got severance. And uh, I tell you, that really sucks. Uh, <laughs> um, now, during the time that I was out of work, um, that new house we bought, uh, well, we didn't have it for long. We lost the house. Um, I had a an attack of kidney stones, and uh, we had to pay for that. Um, Almost lost the cars. It was just a real, real bad time in uh, in our lives. Um, we were we were a big credit, a big risk for uh, for places that would rent houses or rent apartments. Um, this is before you know the big housing crisis. This was like a few months before everybody was you know losing houses or just walking away from houses and. Uh, and so the banks weren't, uh, they weren't quite sure how to deal with us. You know, they weren't as cooperative as they would have been had this happened a year later. Um, I remember making phone calls to, uh, you know, housing and urban development and uh, all the banks and just asking for not so much any, you know, freebies or anything, but I, I would tell them, you know, hey, I'm two months behind can we move those two months to the end of the mortgage? I mean, you'll still get the money, you'll still get the interest, you'll get more interest, in fact. And uh, every time I tried, uh, I was given a, nope, that's not going to happen. 
Um, so we lost the house, and uh, nobody wanted to rent to us. So uh, we were probably, I want to say, less than two weeks away from being on the street. And uh, it just so happened that we went to look at a house that was for rent, and the uh, the guy who owned it said absolutely no way he would uh, rent it to someone with uh, with a foreclosure. But it got to be the end of the month, and he didn't have another renter, and he didn't want to pay the mortgage. So we got the call, <laughs> come on in, you got it, and uh, we just had to pay a couple months in advance, which I mean that's normal, but. Uh, that's uh, that's how we avoided, you know, sleeping in the cars that were very nearly repossessed themselves. But I say all of that so I can say this: <laughs> we jump ahead to uh, you know late two thousand nine, early two thousand ten, and I finally found some temp work. Um, I was applying. I was applying for the major retail outfit that uh, cost me my old job, and I didn't even get a call back. You know. It's uh, it's one of those things where it's the curse where you're told you're overqualified, which is I think is supposed to be a uh, compliment, but it really just feels like a brush off, especially when you're willing to do the work and uh, you really don't have any other options, you know. But I do, be, being someone who did hire people, I understand the risk of taking someone who you are afraid will walk the soonest, uh, as soon as they get another, you know, uh, they get an offer of a quarter, an hour more better. Um, so I understand and I can empathize with uh, their point of view. But still, that sucked. <laughs> but I managed to find work, and uh, and it was a decent job. It was a, it was a government-licensed, uh, a government-contract job, I should say, and... Uh, it was a secure but temporary, um, but it also paid very well. So after everything got squared away and I caught up on all my debt and I got hospital bills paid and you know I was able to put tires on my car, I popped into a comic store and this is around the time where uh, the X-Men were in the Necrotia storyline, if you remember that, uh, which is basically like the X, X-Men Universe's version of Blackest Night, in a way. So I started buying that, and I was digging that, and uh, a buddy of mine who worked at the comic shop was like, hey, well, if you're liking that, you need to look at this. And it was all Blackest Night, and I was like, I, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, because Blackest Night wasn't just an eight-part series, an eight-part event series, or a nine-part event series, I suppose, with the zero, but it was... Hundreds of books, you know, it was a lot of books And there was just no way Um, Because I knew how, I saw how quickly I lost everything just a year before And I knew that at any minute I could lose everything all over again And I didn't want to, I didn't want to have to face myself in the mirror Knowing that I spent money on comics Or extra comics That, uh, you know, you don't need any comics But I didn't want to be on the hook for extra comics. So I, I stayed away from that. I, I did get the last issue of it um, because the guy, and this is just me being a dumb kid, because uh, the guy told me he'd throw in every uh, <laughs> every uh, lantern ring if I bought the issue. So uh, And, and they're, they're right behind me on the bookshelf, so I, I still got them. But we jump into Brightest Day, which... You know, I, I wasn't really sure what to expect, um, but I saw that there were going to be two series, 
And one of them was uh, Justice League Generation Lost, which features the Justice League International characters, which have always been a weakness of mine. And uh, I was like, oh no, you know, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta check that out. But also, there was the main Brightest Day series, the bi-weekly uh, series, and uh, I was just like, okay, I, I guess I gotta do that one too. So this started me uh, back into DC Comics. Um, it's probably a good thing I didn't realize that the New Fifty Two was, you know, a year away. Uh, I might have, uh, I might have, you know, not done it. But uh, this is uh, what marked my return to DC Comics, and uh, it was a big change in my life. And uh, I, I, you know, I apologize for going off on that tangent, I suppose, but. Uh, I mean, you know what you get from me. If you're listening already, you know uh, you know I do that. But uh, we're going to pop over to the horns, and then we will come back and we will discuss Brightest Day, number zero. Brightest Day, number zero. Cover date, June 2010. Stories called Carpe Diem. Written by Jeff Johns and Peter J. Tomasi. Pencils by Fernando Passarin. Inks by John Dell, Cam Smith, Prentice Rollins, Dexter Vines, and Art Thibert? Thibert? One of those. Colors by Aspen MLT's Peter Steigerwald with Beth Satello. Letters by Nick J. Napolitano. Assistant Editor Rex Ogle. Associate Editor Adam Schlagman. Editor Eddie Berganza. Cover price $3.99. Now, uh, don't you dare be sour because uh, we open on a new day. Yes, we do. Now, this is the kind of day where a baby bird might make their first overtures toward leaving the nest. A bird where, a day where it might be a little too soon for such a thing, even. Uh, we pop in on a poor bird who plummets from a tree and bonks its tiny head against a tombstone. This isn't just any tombstone, however. This is the tombstone of Boston Brand, the not-so-dead man. Brand lets loose with a sledgehammer. He destroys his own tombstone and questions his new lot in life. Since the white ring is, this is brightest day, the white lantern is all over the place, he's uh, feeling all these human things that uh, you know the rest of us mere mortals uh, find ourselves putting up with every single day. You know, things like achy legs, things like being hungry, stuff like that. He kneels down, he picks up the baby bird, and in a flash of light, it comes back to life. Then, the white ring speaks. It asks Dead Man for help while bathing him in white. Now, Brand's original death would appear in his very first appearance, and that was Strange Adventures number 205 at a cover date of October 1967. We next uh, shift scenes to the Amnesty Bay Lighthouse, where Mira has begun to stir from her slumber. She heads outside to find the recently revivified Aquaman watching the sunrise. Aquaman had died sometime during the Infinite Crisis one year later deal. I think it was, uh, maybe that Sword of Atlantis or something, I don't know. Now, he wonders why he was chosen, while Garth and Tula, Aqualad and Aquagirl, remain dead. I mean, the easy easy answer is, uh, those characters probably wouldn't support their own feature, much less title. But, uh, you know, I guess we can understand where he's coming from. Now, Mera attempts to entice him into going for a swim... But Arthur just can't shake an ominous feeling. As he sits down on the dock, Deadman appears. Next stop, we go to Iron Heights Penitentiary, where Deadman materializes before the cell of Eobo... 
how do we say that word? Eobard Thorn? <laughs> I should probably watch the Flash TV show to find out how to say that. Uh, no. <laughs> Thorn had been brought back to life, uh, you know, just around now. Uh, he was killed way back in Flash number 325, September 1983, cover date. And the story that would send the title into that uh, seemingly never-ending trial of the Flash. Now, Brand considers what this could mean. Now, why would the Ring choose to revive a psychopath? At that very moment, the Flash arrives at Iron Heights to check in with yet another returning villain. This is Captain Boomerang, Dicker Harkness. This captain died during Identity Crisis. Barry's not completely sure how to approach him, uh, but Digger ensures him that he won't waste his... You know, new lease on life. We shift over to St. Rock, Louisiana, where Hawkman and Hawkgirl look at some tchotchkes. The Hawks were killed not too long ago before during Blackest Night. Uh, at the moment, a strange expedition is taking place in the Andes. A dead man arrives just in time to see the Hawks starting to you know, go at it, and so he shields his face. After a moment, Carter pulls away, and suddenly... The room is full of the ghosts of all of their past lives. This is the Hawks, of course. Shira attempts to comfort him when an odd crystal shard given to them by a star sapphire bursts from his utility belt and bonds to his gauntlet. It appears to want to lead them somewhere. As they follow the mitt, we see just what the expedition had uncovered, and these are bones belonging to Hawkman and Hawkgirl's first bodies. We next shift over to our old pal Max Lord. He's hooked up to several IVs, and he stood before an ice bath. Anyway, uh, Max was killed by Wonder Woman back in Wonder Woman Volume 2, number 219, September 2005, cover date. He is, of course, putting his powers of suggestion into overload in order to make the entire planet forget that he ever existed. And this would, uh, you know, this would play out more in Justice League Generation Lost. Uh, it does almost work, uh, so props to Max. Uh, Dead Man arrives just as he takes that plunge. Next stop, Mars, where Green Lanterns Hal Jordan and Guy Gardner are visiting their pal, the Martian Manhunter. Now, John had been killed during Final Crisis Number 1, July 2008 cover date. It's a cordial, jovial even, uh, you know, reunion between the three friends, and John informs the fellas that he will remain on Mars for now because he wants to do whatever he can in order to bring it back. Speaking of lanterns, we next shove off to Oa, where the recently returned Jade is being run through some training exercises. Now, Jenny died in Infinite Crisis Special, Ron Thanagar War No. 1, April 2006, Covenant. She thinks uh, that she's being put through this intense regimen in order to keep her from reconnecting with Kyle Rayner. Kyle eventually shows up and they chat a bit before splitting off. The scene closes with Jade being frightened by the White Lantern logo. Well, it's not exactly clear, I don't know. Now, uh, back to Earth, and New York City to be specific. We're at the funeral for Jehenna. This is the former girlfriend or partner of sorts to Jason Roush. Roush, maybe, I don't know. I don't say these words out loud, it's a problem. Jason Roush is the other Firestorm. Uh, you know, not Ronnie. Uh, Jehenna was uh, killed in Black as Night number 3, November 2009 cover, by Black Lantern Firestorm, the Ronnie Raymond version. Well, now Ronnie's back, courtesy of the White Lantern. Uh, Ronnie had died years earlier during Identity Crisis. Now, it's not the greatest of meetings between Ronnie and Jason, as you might imagine. Ronnie sheepishly apologizes for turning Jason's girlfriend into a pillar of salt, or whatever it was, and he gets a punch in the face for his troubles. This results in the two boys combining into an all-new Firestorm Matrix. Next stop, 
Kandak, where Amon Tomaz, Osiris, has returned. He is the brother of Isis and a former student of Black Adam. He died in 52, number 43, back in February 2007 cover, and he uh, marvels up by shouting the name Black Adam, and then he takes the statues of his sister and mentor for a proper burial. We head back stateside to Arlington, Virginia, where the revived hawk, Hank Hall, is teaming up with the still-alive dove, Dawn Granger, to take out some smugglers. Hawk died as extant, I think, <laughs> back in a JSA number 15. This is October 2000 cover date. Uh, he's still the same old might-makes-right hawk, so yada yada yada. Dead Man's final stop for now is the decimated Star City. A great big chunk of Star City was destroyed by Prometheus during Justice League Cry for Justice, which left the city severely scarred. The ring begins to speak again, and it's worth mentioning that all of the folks brought back to life, uh, Boston Brand is the only one still wearing a White Lantern ring. The ring cries out for Brand to help them, while giving us a flash of what's to come. The ground begins to shake, and Brand falls to the ground. Suddenly, trees begin to sprout, filling in the Star City scar with a large, with a lush forest. Dead Man panics and attempts to remove the ring from his finger, but is unsuccessful. We wrap up the issue in Silver City, New Mexico, where the actual White Lantern power battery sits in a crater. The locals don't quite know what to make of it. However, they don't get the luxury of thinking about it all that long because Sinestro is on the scene. <laughs> Well, that was a whole lot of uh, traveling there, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> you almost get exhausted reading it. Um, now, this was a great world-building issue and uh, really made you feel like you got your money's worth. I mean, this was a $4 book back when not every single book was $4, but uh, we do get a lot here. Um, I mean, this you know was supposed to be setting the stage for everything going forward. This wasn't just supposed to be for this event as far as we were told. This was going to be basically, you know, laying the foundation for what the DC Universe was going to be moving forward. You know, of course, if not for, uh, you know, flushing that toilet in uh, the fall of 2011. Now, it was cool having Deadman as our tour guide. Um, this is really my first time actually warming up to the character. Uh, if you're following along with Action Comics Daily, uh, you know that Deadman really... <sighs> He's not really my thing, you know? <laughs> I always thought he had a cool look and a g- and cool gimmick, but uh, he didn't really hold my attention, you know? Uh, it wasn't until this story, where he was no longer dead, that uh, I actually felt uh, engaged with the character. Though, I guess, you know, I probably could say that for a few of the heroes that we're introduced to here. Uh, you know, back in 2010, I was far less acquainted with the DC Universe as I am now. I really didn't follow many of these characters, so, uh, you know, this was a neat little assortment of revived folks that really proved uh, to be a better-than-expected education for me. You know, I, I learned more about these characters uh, than uh, going through the series than I would have otherwise, and uh, a lot of these folks were, like I mentioned, like, they're new to me, basically. Among them, you know, Firestorm. He's one of those characters, uh... Who, just like Deadman, I thought he looked really cool, and uh, he seemed like the kind of character that I really should be into. I mean, I have a whole lot of his his run, but I could never really get into it. Um, I don't know what it is about it. Um, I, I re- I've reviewed a few for the site, and uh, 
never really saw what the hubbub was, you know. I, I, I still think he's got a cool look and a cool gimmick and a cool story, but uh, could never really get into the book. Um, we could probably lump Hawk and Dove into there, too, and, and the Hawks, Hawk Man and Hawk Girl or Hawk Woman. Um, the only time I've ever engaged with uh, Hawkman was when they brought him back in JSA and then uh, spun him off into his own series for a bit. Um, that's really the only time I had, uh, I really, you know, gave a hoot about Hawkman. Now, I will say that I did get a bit tired of all the uh, why me reactions. You know, I, I mean, I get it. Uh, the more heroic among the revived have all those pangs of altruism, so. But, you know, everybody had to say it, <laughs> so it kind of, uh, it wasn't as, uh, I, I feel like it wasn't as useful a reaction. Uh, it was just overdone, you know? I, I think about another book that came out around this time that, uh, that we just mentioned, that Justice League Cry for Justice, where literally every character cried for justice. <laughs> it's like, okay, maybe the first time... I can get on board with that, but when, you know, Kong Gorilla is, is teary-eyed, yelling for justice, it's like, okay, we're done. Um, <laughs> now, now, this was a... Before Rebirth here, this was probably the last time I had any kind of optimism about DC Comics. Uh, I had uh, stopped because I lost my job, but even going into the, the months and, and the year before that, I, uh, I had slowed down a great deal. On, uh, on a lot of my DC books uh, There were only a handful that I was keeping up with And it wasn't until Brightest Day that I That I actually felt like Recommitting, you know um, It's uh, DC since And I don't like to paint with the same brushes A lot of people do, but It feels like since uh, Didio took over it uh they've had a really big trial big problem sticking landings you know we get like these really wild and great stories but the endings are just very subpar so it's hard to get excited about a story anymore um it's hard to get excited about most stories in fact because you don't know if you're gonna get an ending you might just get something that rolls into the next event i mean that's that's both companies right now marvel and dc where you don't really get that you you don't get that opportunity to draw a line under a story, and uh, with Brightest Day though, it kind of felt like you didn't need to draw a line under it because this was going to be, you know, these this was the seed that was going to grow into the new DC universe. Um, everything was supposed to lead somewhere, you know. These are I called them in my review. I refer to them as neo seminal. Because uh, these were stories that were going to be built upon and were going to actually matter. This was going to be the foundation, you know. And uh, I wasn't there for post-crisis, you know. I wasn't there for Man of Steel or for uh, or for the new Wonder Woman or for Year One. I wasn't there for that. Uh, so this was like the first time that I was kind of on the ground floor of a, of, of a DC universe. Of course, that's like three ground floors for a go. <laughs> but uh, what are you going to do? Um, everything just felt new. Everything felt novel. There was hope. It felt like things were just going to grow. Um, now, this is something that I did. I, I, I covered Brightest Day every single day in May of 2018. I called it Brightest May. Isn't that uh, That's pretty creative, right? Uh, <laughs> and it was the first time 
that I realized that uh, the folks who read my blog might not give half a damn about uh, Brightest Day because my numbers plummeted, <laughs> plummeted that month. Um, I had fun with it, though. Um, and they're still there in the archives if, uh, of, of Chris's on InfiniteEarth.com if you're interested in checking out uh, the first several months' worth of uh, Brightest Day books. Um, I had a lot of fun with that. I think I even discovered the the actual book that uh, changed the direction of the uh, initiative, um, which I was one of those books I was planning on talking about on the show, so we might get to that uh, before long. Um, now, the thing here is you look at Brightest Day now in 2019, and... Uh, and I feel so dumb for committing to the event, you know, because from these two books, from Brightest Day and from uh, Generation Lost, I started buying everything with the Brightest Day logo and banner on it because I felt like this was all going somewhere. I felt like I needed to have this information so I could uh, so I could move forward, you know, with uh, with everything. So I was grabbing Birds of Prey again. I was grabbing uh, the Justice League, Justice Society again. Um, Green Arrow came back um, with a new uh, with a new volume. Uh, the Green Lantern books had uh, Brightest Day tie-ins. It was a uh, it was pretty big, you know. There were I don't remember. I know I counted how many books there were at one point because I was really annoyed when the uh, the new Fifty Two announcement happened, but uh, it was it wasn't uh, it wasn't just a handful of books. It was a lot of books, and this is before I went to uh, DCBS. So I was buying these off the rack every week at cover price. So uh, I felt very dumb, and I still kind of do. <laughs> now, for as an issue itself, I thought it was really good. I thought this was great. Um, the art was great. I I think. Uh, you know, I don't even know where we stand with the post-rebirth DC. I don't know what what of this is still in canon or was ever in canon. I, I mean, we know that Blackest Night happened, but we don't know necessarily that all the bits of Brightest Day happened. I mean, there is a White Lantern, but we don't, you know, we, it hasn't been said whether or not this story happened, unfortunately. <laughs> And I think that's uh, all I got for you this time out. Uh, I' gonna gonna skip the hot take segment this time out. Uh, just you know, dipping my feet back into uh, the old microphone game here. So we'll just uh, we'll just do the issue straight, and uh, we'll do the hot take maybe next time. We'll start bringing that back. Uh, I do want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank you all for your patience um, and uh, bearing with us, bearing with me. Over these past couple months, uh, as I did take my sweet time getting back. Um, now, if you want to uh, get a hold of us, you can do so at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find us at chrisandreggie.com. Uh, I, I don't know if Reggie will be answering emails just yet, but I know he wouldn't mind reading emails. So uh, if you have any messages for him, definitely send them along. Uh, he's back at least looking at social media, so uh, you could check him out there or... Or, you know, send him a message that way. I, I know he'll, uh, he'll, he'll appreciate that. Now, if you want to check out the, the site that this show is named after, you can do so at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. And while you're there, if you see a book that you'd like to hear me discuss, or if you like uh, the cut of my jib for a post and want to hear it in audio form, just uh, hit me up and I will uh, throw it on the list. 
If while you're there you see a book that I covered that you want to come on and discuss, let me know and we'll see what we can work out. I want to thank you so, so much for listening once again and uh, so long for now. See ya.